0: Last week, I talked uh, about a young mother-to-be. Mary finds out that she's going to have a baby, and that this baby would, in fact, be the Messiah. It's a tremendous blessing, but it's a blessing that causes a lot of messiness in her life. It's a blessing, but it may not feel quite like a blessing in that first moment when she realizes all of the upheaval that's about to take place in her life. She's a young woman who is now faced with a completely impossible situation, impossible outside of God. It's going to change her life significantly, and it's going to change the world for eternity. And then she asks the angel Gabriel who's speaking to her, How any of this is even possible? How is she going to have a child, even though she's a virgin? And the angel says to her, it's not about how, it's about who. Because the Holy Spirit of God can do anything. And as we talked about, those blessings that don't feel like one at first, we realize that God can work through anything. This is a blessing but it's not going to make life easier for Joseph or Mary. In fact, it's going to make it far more complicated. And now as we go further into that story, their life gets even more complicated. So if you have your Bible, if you have your device, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, right at the beginning, verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. It'll be on the screen. But if you have your own device, your own Bible, I'd love for you to follow along. We are reading the ESV version this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. Doesn't it feel weird to read this story in May? Like... Like the whole time, I'm like, this, it's warm outside. Why am I reading Luke chapter 2? This is the story of a child being born. But it's not as sterilized as we've made it. When we talk about this story around Christmas time, everything feels very clean and sterilized. And, and it's just very pretty. But the reality of the situation was probably a little bit different. We don't always talk about it when we talk about the Sunday school version of the story. But it starts out with a 100-mile journey. I don't know if you've ever traveled 100 miles with a woman who's extremely pregnant. Not easy. They pee a lot. Like a lot. You have to stop. And they don't have cars. This is a journey probably on camelback or maybe even just by foot. And they have to make this journey. And I don't know if... You even have lived that situation, but it can be difficult. Ladies, can you imagine going on a 100-mile hike while you're nine months pregnant? No, thank you, right? I, I don't even know. I'm not even trying to pretend I know, but that seems like it'd be difficult. Finally, they get to Bethlehem. They go and look, and there's no place at the inn for them to stay, and so they end up probably either in a cave or a barn, next to where the animals live, and there in a barn or in a stable, next to where all the animals do their business, in a nothing town, is where Jesus is born. It is not the kind of situation in which you would think that the God of the universe is going to take on human flesh, is it? It is the ultimate act of humility from God. And Mary wraps her baby in swaddling claws and lays him in a feeding trough. Because that's the only place that's available. This is the ultimate story of the humility of God to step into the world in such a way. Let's keep reading. Verse 8 through 20. which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made it known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. To them, So this angel appears out of nowhere to these shepherds who were just out in their fields doing their job and it says they were terrified. Which I always think the Bible is so like undertoned often because you're just a shepherd hanging out with your sheep and all of a sudden an angel shows up and the presence of God is there and Yeah, I think you'd be terrified in that situation. And the glory of God is surrounding him. You're going to be scared by that. But then again, as we've talked about so many times, the angel's first words to the shepherds are, do not fear. Fear not. However, if if there was ever a time where I would not blame somebody for being afraid, it would be if they were just like hanging out with their sheep, standing there with their rod, Their job is to protect sheep, which, I mean, they're like, okay, I can handle a wolf. But then an angel of the Lord shows up. The presence of God, I wouldn't blame them for being a little bit afraid. These guys also know the stories in the Old Testament of the power of angels, and I can't even begin to imagine what the visible glory of God looks like in the night sky. But I imagine it makes the northern lights look boring. Glory is a word in the original language that can also mean splendor. And in my imagination, that moment when it went from pitch black night to the splendor of God was probably brighter than the noonday sun. It's Probably something beyond their imagination. One translation of this word glory, I love this, it's the kabod. It means the weight of God. Like if you can imagine just the idea of God and the full weight that comes with it. The the sky is filled with the weight of God. It is shining all around them. And I guarantee that if you come face to face with the weight of the glory of God, you are very quickly going to realize how not glorious you are. It is a divine mirror shining back at you saying, "Look look how small I am. When I come face to face with the glory of God. That alone would probably send me running away terrified. So I'm not surprised that the angel first to say, Okay, don't, don't, huh? don't, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. And then he says, I'm not here to destroy you. Basically he says, I am here with good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The angel says, I have good news. He's bringing the gospel and he says all people he saying it's not just good news for the jewish folks it's good news for all people i have this message that is going to change the world for all people all humanity all races down the full tunnel of time i have good news that changes everything and then the angel continues And it's a message for all people. It's a message for us sitting here today as much as it was for them. And he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When the angel makes this declaration, he is making a very clear statement. He is saying this child is not just a boy. This is the one true God and Savior. This is the Messiah that the people have been waiting for for thousands of years. This is not a hazy statement. He's saying, this is who you've been waiting for. And by making that statement, he is making a larger statement for their day that the kingdom of God has come and it is different than the kingdom of this world. There is the kingdom of God, which has just come to be. And there's the kingdom of the world that is taking place around them. Because you see, over in Rome at this time, we started out this chapter by talking about the census and the registrations. Because over in Rome, there is a guy called Caesar Augustus. You've heard of him in your history classes. He is controlling the entire Roman Empire, which is ruling over the Jewish people at the time. He is the great nephew and adopted son of Julius Caesar. And when Julius Caesar dies, he becomes the emperor of Rome. And he takes on a new name, Caesar Augustus, which literally means majestic. So he's very humble. He's a humble leader. I am... Majestic. Can you imagine the guts it would take for a politician now to just be like, just call me majesty. Right? Not majesty from camp. She's awesome. That's different. And Caesar Augustus actually declares at this time that his adopted father, Julius Caesar, was God. God. He says, that Julius was God, now he's gone, and I'm here, and I'm his son. So Caesar Augustus is claiming to be the son of God. And you begin to see these kingdoms that are directly opposed. Caesar Augustus is saying, I'm the son of God. And the angel is coming to these shepherds and saying, no, this is the son of God. This is the true kingdom. Because Caesar is being worshipped, literally worshipped as God by the people in Rome. And so the angel's exact proclamation was on purpose. These men in the field know about the claims of Caesar Augustus. But the angel says there is only one true God. And there is only one son of God. And today he was born and he is here to be the Messiah. When the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, there's a big implication there that I don't think we talk about enough. He says, Today a Savior was born for you. What's the implication of that? You need a Savior. Today a Savior was born and he's your Savior, so you need to be saved. We sometimes jump right over that part in the birth story. It sounds really nice to quote scripture and to say, a Savior is born. But that comes with this truth that we need a Savior. That there's something broken in us that needs to be redeemed. That those men in the field need a Savior. You can only find joy in the birth of Jesus if you recognize and acknowledge that He is the Savior that you personally need there's something broken in us we need restoration and the angel comes and says this child is the Messiah the only one that can restore you and the broken connection that you have with your God and then the angel does something that I didn't notice until I had read this story a bunch of times (coughs) and I I really like this so if you were here last week, we talked about how the angel Gabriel kind of gave this proof to Mary, right? Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, all these things are going to happen. And, and guess what? Go talk to your cousin Elizabeth and see what happened to her, how God gave her a child in her old, barren age. He, he gives Mary this kind of sign that she can grab hold of and say, look what God can do. And here, he offers the shepherds kind of the same thing. He says, a sign will be given to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. He gives them this little nugget of proof, and it's really specific and weird. Like, we've heard this story our whole life, so we're just like, oh yeah, baby, claws, manger. But if that had never happened before, and somebody says, you're going to find a baby in a feeding trough in a barn in Bethlehem. You're going to be like, that's weird. What are you talking about? So this angel gives them this really specific truth that they can kind of hang their hats on. Notice, they immediately, like, with haste, like, let's go see if this is real. And then they go, and that's exactly what they find. And they realize what the angel is saying to them is the truth. See, they would have thought, I mean, these are shepherds. They're not highly educated men of Israel. They're kind of looked down upon by most of society. But even they would have thought, if the Messiah was just born, he would be in royal robes. He would be in a a castle. He would have servants attending to him. Everything would be beautiful and sterile. And yet the angel comes and says, no, you're going to find a baby... Wrapped in, in some, like, junky cloths, sitting in a feeding trough. So they're probably like, well, that doesn't sound right. But they go, and that's exactly what they find. A baby in a manger. I started thinking about this this week, and again, we usually talk about this at, like, Christmas time, but there's these little symbols of, like, Christmas time in this whole story that we start looking at and we, we say, oh, the manger, or the star, or whatever it is, whatever that little symbol is that makes you think about the nativity story. And we start to almost almost worship those things, right? Like we set up all the decorations and, and we get excited about those things and we kind of forget why those things are even mentioned. The manger is only mentioned. There's nothing special about the manger except for Jesus is in it. Or the barn or the cave. Or the shepherds. All of the parts of this story that we celebrate and decorate and do all these things, they're only there because they are around Jesus. He is the reason why this story Is incredible they're all signs that point to him that point to the story of Emmanuel God is with us that Jesus was in that manger that God was born in a barn that star that's in the sky is there because it's pointing to the Messiah the shepherds go and hear this story Because of the child who was born, everything is wrapped around him. It's not just a cute little children's story that we roll out once a year with farm animals. It is the story of the God of the universe coming into the world in a very messy and peculiar way because we need a Savior. And in this messy story... God comes for us in our brokenness and our desperation. And he comes in a way that would have defied anybody's thoughts of how the Messiah would come. And he fulfills everything that we need. And so the shepherds are told, there's a sign for you to go see. But before they can even go to see the baby, notice this again, Luke chapter 2, verse 13, 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It says a great company of heavenly host. I think if you're like me, you imagine this being like a really nice choir, right? Like this is what I imagine like the, it's not, but it looks like the, the Morbid, Tabernacle choir, right? And they're in robes and they're just like, glory to God in the highest. Like, that's what I imagine. But this word, a great company, can also mean armies. It's not just a pretty little choir. It's not the show choir. It is all of the armies of God show up in the sky and angelic beings from heaven exploding into the sky, filling the sky as far as can be seen, and they are there praising God. And that word great company can also be understood multitude. Multitude of armies of God. The author of Hebrews uses the same word to describe the number of the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the beach. So we're not talking about a hundred people in nice clean robes saying glory to God. No, multitudes of armies like sands on the beach crying out to the glory of God. And now you begin to understand why the shepherds might have been a little bit afraid. It is beyond our comprehension what that looks like. And they begin to sing this hymn. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those people whom he has pleased. This this hymn <coughs> is still sung today. When I was growing up in the Catholic Church, I remember hearing hundreds of people singing this in the slightly different translation. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Over and over and over. But imagine the multitude... Armies of God singing the praise of the Messiah who has just been born. I can imagine that sound and now I try to imagine it being sung out by the innumerable host of heavenly beings singing over all of creation and it's mind-blowing to consider. There's a cool connection to, to their culture at the time in first century Israel. At that time, the firstborn son was a really big deal. I mean, it still is, but at that time, your firstborn son, all of the family lineage would run through that son. And so families at that time, if they had the financial means to do so, when their firstborn son was born, they would hire professional singers and musicians to come and to sing over the family and to declare the the glory of this son who is going to continue on in their family lineage. But guess what? God doesn't have to hire professional singers. He had the whole host of heaven to do it for him. This was the announcement. The firstborn son of God had been born, and it's Jesus. He is the one for whom... The heavens declare praise and glory. It's not that other guy who calls himself majestic. Who has to give himself titles and have all of the things and have all of the people and all of the servants. It's not that guy. It's not the one claiming that his dad was God and he's the son of God. He's a false God. He's a prideful, arrogant man that must force people to sing his praises under threats of violence. The true king of the world does not need to do that. The host of heavens explode through the sky and they sing his praises. And the calling on all of our lives today is to join that great multitude in proclaiming that this child born in a manger is actually the son of God. God in flesh come to earth to save us. And so we find joy Real, true joy. Not situational joy of what's going on in my life today, but the joy in knowing who we are in the presence of God, in who He is and what He's done. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the eternal God in flesh. He is the fullness of God, coming to reconcile all of broken humanity, to himself. He's born and he is the visible, made in flesh and blood image of God. He comes and he is placed in a manger, but the manger isn't just a sign. It's a sign of who is in the manger that God has come, Emmanuel, the same God of the universe that we talked about week one of Gospels. Remember that? We talked about Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is the same creative God that created everything around us, and yet now he's a little baby in a manger. The same God who holds creation together the same God who breathed life into humanity, the same God who is the Logos, the reason, the ordering principle upon which the entire universe is based. That God is born in human flesh, and he's not laid down in a golden gilded crib. He's laid down with no servants in a manger, placed in a feeding trough, cared for by his teenage virgin mother and praised and worshiped, not by kings and queens, but by the most common of people, shepherds. However, all of heaven was rejoicing because the hosts of heaven understand this is just the beginning of the redemption story of the universe. The world didn't see it. What amazes me about the story is there were religious leaders who were supposedly supposed to be watching for the Messiah right down the road. And they missed it. They didn't know. They weren't paying attention. But an angel comes to some shepherds and says, you want to see something pretty cool? Can you imagine being one of these shepherds? Just, you're just the, this random guy and an angel says, check it out. Go right down the road and see God in flesh. And as we look back now from the other side of the story, we can see the amazing work of God that was unfolding to save us. The good news of Jesus Christ's life through the gospel accounts is just starting. I pray that as we continue on in this journey, we would all grow in our understanding of the gospel and in our relationship with the Lord. We're going to keep talking about this next week and throughout exciting parts of the story that I don't think are talked about enough uh, soon to come. Let's pray.